This Restorative Justice Life is a production of Amplify RJ. Follow us on all social media platforms at Amplify RJ. Sign up for our email list and check out our website at AmplifyRJ.com to stay up to date on everything we have going on. Make sure you're subscribed to this feed on whatever platform you're listening on right now so you don't miss an episode. And finally, we'd love it if you left us a rating and review. It really helps us literally amplify this work. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to This Restorative Justice Life, the podcast that explores how the philosophy, practices, and values of restorative justice apply to our everyday lives. I'm your host, David Ryan Barcega Castro Harris, all five names for the ancestors, and I'm the founder of Amplify RJ. On this podcast, I talk with RJ practitioners, circle keepers, and others doing this work about how this way of being has impacted their lives. Hey folks, I'm Elise, your producer, and today we are welcoming Michelle Armster to the podcast. In addition to being a contributing author to Colorizing Restorative Justice, she's currently the executive director for the Mennonite Central Committee in North Newton, Kansas. Michelle is a trainer, teacher, and practitioner in the areas of conflict transformation, mediation, restorative justice, and crimes of severe violence. She really brings her expertise in this episode as she breaks down the components of restorative justice practices, such as eliminating bias, listening deeply, and more. Just a reminder, Amplify RJ has many Black History Month events that we want to share with you. We have our Black Her Story reading list and our History of Black Abolition Movements workshops, which can be found in the show notes below. Also, in addition to our Black History Month events, we are also collaborating with the Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab's People's School for Justice to facilitate a free intro to racial and restorative justice workshop. As always, all the information you need will be in the show notes. And without further ado, let's get into this conversation. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Who are you? I am a woman of African descent, born in America. Who are you? I used two of the two of them already, right? Woman Uh, of African descent. (laughs) So, okay, number two. Um, I am. I would identify as uh, a Christian, although on the very liberal side, a progressive side, I would say. Who are you? I am a person committed to justice. Um, Yes, I'm going to use that one because in the next time, who am I? Yeah, who are you? Next one, yeah. Yep. I'm I'm also committed to equity and equity in the sense of uh, race, class, gender, and sexuality. I am, okay, who am I? Five. Mm I am um, a person committed to the emotional emancipation for people of African descent, um, the worldwide diaspora of persons of African descent, and uh, who am I six? Because <laughs> if I start talking, then all of it will come out, then I'll end up with nothing. Um, I am a daughter. Uh, a uh, daughter of Dorothy Armster, who lives with me, uh, and of and she's a daughter of Ruby uh, Poe, who is an ancestor, and she is a daughter of Rebecca Ottman, who is an ancestor. So I am, 
I come from um, ancestors' mothers that continue to speak through me. And uh, who am I? I think I'm at seven. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm at seven. Um, I am uh, a sister, and I have just recently been uh, installed as an elder. So um, I'm living into this phase of my life now uh, as an elder. And it is important for me as an elder to connect to the young people. So that's who I am. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And like, I just might not talk anymore because you're doing a great job of interviewing yourself. It's never happened before. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Jokes aside, uh, it's always good to check in. So in the fullest extent of the question, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. are you? Well, I, I feel like I'm doing well. You know, uh, this uh, season of pandemic has been, you know, for many, it's been a curse. I mean, <laughs> a curse, but it's it's been a sad season. Um, loss of life, and we see how the the criminal justice system, the sheet has been taken off of the criminal justice system, but even more importantly during this, se this season, the sheet has been taken off of the healthcare system and its disparity for black and brown people. And, and although as communities, we've often talked about it, but now it's being revealed. And so uh, as well as just the, the uh, inadequacy of the government to address, deal with, this global pandemic has resulted in uh, the, the number of deaths that hasn't been seen since the last pandemic of 1918. And, uh, and so, so we have that in this year and we have people isolating and, um, and, and uh, sheltering in place. And, and so my, my thought for this year has been, you know, we can, we can social distance, but do we have, to, we don't have to, I mean, we can be physically distant, but we don't have to socially distance. And, and, and if we hold on to the way things used to be, we never have this opportunity to, to explore how do we do things differently. So that's, that's so how, how am I today is I'm living into differently. How to think of this is just being different. I, um, I'm work, I've worked from home since uh, March for the most part, um, and that's worked out well for my staff because weekly we meet to do it differently. Um, and I also am caring for my elderly mother, which for me, this uh, pandemic has given me the opportunity to do that. And so on the, on the, on that, on the one hand, I'm, I've been grateful for that opportunity. So today, you know, I'm just living one day at a time, trying to accept things as they come. And when you have an elder who has um, uh, that progressive cognitive issues called dementia, uh, each day is new. <laughs> and so I'm just living into that. So that's how I am today. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, always good to, you know, fully acknowledge that, like, that's what people... Are dealing with and so thank you so much for sharing and we're gonna explore some of those things especially about your work from home and the work that you're doing in a moment but you know we're here on this restorative justice life to talk about 
how you know this way of being has impacted both your professional and personal lives but you learned the word restorative justice much later uh in your life so uh in your own words how did this work get started for you yeah well i i started you know it's interesting i worked as a uh, insurance claims adjuster in dallas texas many years ago and part and what happened in that restore in, in um in insurance uh, insurance industry is with cases they began to uh, send cases to mediation mm-hmm. the they thought it would be you know more cost effective uh, that sort of thing so as a as an examiner i would i enjoyed taking my cases to media to mediation you know to to talk with the with the person the other party the victim usually and 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 to kind of negotiate settlement um and because i, I that 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 connecting to the person was important for me only in that we can get really caught up in the in the uh uh, T's and I's of a situation and not realize that, but ultimately this is about a person and a person's injury and a person's harm. I would not have called, I mean, I would not have, we wouldn't have said it like that, but I, I really, um, that's why I, I really enjoyed that kind of, uh, engagement. That's where I realized, oh, how do I, I ask, well, how do I do this? I mean, I'd like to be that person to facilitate a process that helps people to resolve what their issues are. And so I uh, got found out, got the training for that. And, and part of that work uh, at that time, so it, was, it would have been in the 80s, and it was uh, in uh, Dallas, Texas. So uh, it wasn't East Coast. Uh, I think the movement in the East Coast was really trying to, well, we've got conflict transformation and we've got restorative justice and never the twain shall meet. And I, I, I never knew that kind of conversation was happening any at all. I just knew that um, I would have cases. Uh, I would I, totally as a volunteer, I would have cases that involved uh, a juvenile offender and uh, the and the person who he or she uh, uh, committed a, 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 a defense towards, be it theft or uh, physical injury, a fight or you know vandalism, and uh, bringing them together and say, how do we, how do you make this right? How do you you know? talk about what happened and why it happened and how do you make this right and and talking with the person who who was the victim of and, and what do you need for so the skills were always there but not until I moved to work for Mennonite Central Committee on the East Coast and I began to work with um, Lorraine Stutzman Amstutz that I thought wow why is this thing Consider two different, um, two different fields. I mean, like for me, the the skill sets were very similar, and depending upon uh, what the particularities of the case would be, requires just about di- different skills. You ask different questions. You look for different ways of resolving the the matter. Anyway, um, 
So uh, in time, Lorraine and I began to work together because, you know, that was our conversation. I said, I didn't come into this like this, but I've done what you are doing. So why is it that, why is this stuff like separated like this? You know, and that's the womanist in me, you know, uh, and I also identify as, as a womanist, which is a, um, uh, an, uh, African, uh, American woman's way of understanding, um, community, you know, uh, of understanding that, um, our, our, our purpose, our, our obligation is not only is to ourselves, our well-being, but also the well-being of our community and the well-being of all men, women, and children and um, and seeking the health of, of a community. So I'm, I'm like, why does this have to all be so separated? There are skills that all could use. And anyway, so that's how I got into this is that way. Lots of things stood out to me in there. But one of the things, like, and tying it back to, like, what you're saying about how this is all connected, you started in insurance claims, and then you said, like, mm-hmm. you switched to volunteering to do mm-hmm. this work within, uh, with, with, like, with young people, right? What made that connection for you? Well, uh, well, one, you know, the, the, the corporate place, but I just saw that this was an opportunity to... Um, challenge the status quo mm-hmm. you know the, the challenge how how uh our society has uh chose to respond to any offense whatever and even the language of offense but i'm going to use that any action uh punitively and i wanted to do something that provided an opportunity that we there's other there are other ways to look at this there's other ways to um uh, approach the situation, and I, I that that idea of taking children out of their community without any connection, you know. So this is part of my philosophy, and that is, you know, um, white supremacist culture is about individuals. It's I, you know, it's my rights, and it's I want, and I have the right to. Whereas I, I, I believe that you know, Afrocentric and, um, and other indigenous, um, understand it's about, I have an obligation. I have an obligation to, for me, to the children, uh, to the community, to the well-being of the whole. And so I saw that as a way for me to connect with, uh, with community, to connect with, uh, young people and to just, um, yeah, just to give back. I mean, because at that time in my life, um, you know, I, I was doing well. And so I don't do well and not do anything. That just, that just doesn't seem right. Yeah. That, that's, you know, so. So even before you yeah. knew mediation work, like you had yeah. a value system that was mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. connection to community. Yes. Where did you learn that? Yes. Well, family, family, mother. Uh, father, uh, uh, aunties, uncles, grandma. <laughs> so I believe, it, you know, when I, we talk about epigenetics and I don't know, bring in some other concepts, but that okay. idea that there is, you know, that that um, there are things within our bodies that are that we hold from our ancestors for those who've come before. Now, I know that I, all, I hold in my body um, 
uh, lynchings, because I know that my great-grandfather was lynched. Uh, you know, I, I hold in uh, my my body rape, because I know that my uh, uh, great-grandmother was a product of rape. She, you know, she is a child of the slave master who raped her mother. Uh, but I also hold in my body the values that were able to, to continue uh, in spite of the Middle Passage. Um, and those values are about um, family and community and wanting the best and, and you know people you people um, may do wrong but you don't your first your first inclination is not to kick them out or kick them you know to ostracize them it's like how do we keep them in the community not everybody is going to do what's right to stay in the community but you don't kick them out first you try to see how you have an obligation for for to that person because it, it's it's about Ubuntu. I am because we are right. Exactly. You know, it's 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 the Ubuntu. So, yeah, um, it it's just the values of of how I was raised and um, and how even as a person who's who's uh, chosen expression of faith has been through uh, the the Christian religion um, or uh, Christianity. Because not everybody who calls themselves a Christian get it as far as I get it right as far as I'm concerned. Sure, sure. <laughs> but it, but um, you know, if looking at the ways of Jesus, it was about bringing people in and keeping people in and healing people in the community, and, and you know, so I I don't know it I don't know it any other way. I don't I didn't I couldn't see it any other way. Yeah, so. it was just really interesting to me that you said the start of this was like learning this like mediation through insurance schemes because like just uh, in the short time i was yeah. talking to you like like i knew it had to be something before that yeah. like you mm-hmm. uh, like from your family and like that epigenetic yeah. piece like mm-hmm. that uh, intergenerational mm-hmm. um trauma mm-hmm. but also the gifts that come from our ancestors hey, ashe, ashe, um, ashe. are so important you've also talked about how you know your faith is an important piece of this work mm-hmm. for you how do mm-hmm. how does your faith and the work that we're calling quote unquote restorative justice mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. intersect and impact each other mm-hmm so for me, um, you know, everybody uh, has a passage or a, a, a scriptural passage that kind of shapes who they are. And for me, it, it is the Sermon on the Mount and the blessed are the peacemakers. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea that um, and then when, you know, Jesus talks about uh, uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And, and so there, there again, it's about obligation to your community and to uh, others in ways that um, uh, is about bringing uh, healing, uh, Ubuntu, Shalom, you know, um, all all many societies have that at their core, at their indigenous core, that understanding of the importance of community and the importance of of you know, holding people even in their, in their damagedness, uh, that, that holding them in community can help heal them, you know, and I think what has happened to the field of, you know, uh, restorative justice and conflict transformation is, you know, uh, I'm just gonna put it like, like this, you know, dominant culture figured out a way of commodifying and codifying mm-hmm. it. And so by, you know, doing that, what it did was it took the soul and the community out of, something that should be natural if people are connected to one another in a way 
that sees the connection as obligation rather than um, uh, as opposed to I have a right to, you know, so and so the, you know, um, that that commodification and that codification of that always happens like oh we figured out how to make we can make some money at it and so let's make it so that you have to get you have to go through these uh trainings for it and and uh and make sure that these these trainings are at a price that uh, not everyone can afford it and so then what do you have you have a bunch of white men who are dictating how how what you know what's proper restorative justice what's proper conflict uh transformation don't get me started just don't even well I'm, I'm about to get you started because part of the reason that you're here today is to talk about your chapter in the book colorizing restorative justice and it's mm-hmm. not just because uh it, your co-author is one of my good friends christiane mm-hmm. um along with erica and lorraine mm-hmm. um but mm-hmm. because the title of this chapter is called Burn the Bridge, and I'm just going to read a piece mm-hmm. of the introductory paragraph for the listeners. A bridge is, has often been used as a metaphor to talk about how restorative justice is a link to Aboriginal and Indigenous communities around the world who have lived out what restorative justice means. Yet it is false to claim that restorative justice in its current iteration is honoring the traditions of Indigenous people. We are not living out the values of those original tra- uh of those original traditions and restorative justice mm-hmm. does not truly honor the roots of Aboriginal and indigenous uh, people in its current colonial form. Instead, mm-hmm. restorative justice is rooted in a white Western, uh, sorry, in a Western white supremacist, cisgender male dominated system. Echoing Ashe. a lot of what you just said right now. Yes. Um, and I just want to get you started and go. <laughs> I, I, I say, I mean, you know, so yes, and so what does it mean to, you know, the question is, what does it mean to decolonize restorative justice? You know, um, as it is articulated, touted, even praised, this this present iteration of it, uh, how do we decolonize it? You know, and, and, and language is really important, right? Uh, you know, so restorative, yeah, obviously, so restorative justice, what are we restoring to? What is what are the implications of that? So, are we restoring people into community? That's one thing, um, but are we if we're talking about restorative justice in some way that that implies that the previous is better? That's problematic for me. You know, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like um, that because we're when we when we're using uh, oppressive dominant systems and values, are we restoring it to? The, to that, I mean, that's the the I, I think when I and I think when I think about that, I'm thinking about mass incarceration. Um, what does that? What does restorative justice mean to and for mass incarceration when mass incarceration is based on racism mm-hmm. and, and our criminal justice? So what? What restore? What? What? What's? What? What? Are, what is the restoration that is is happening? So language, I mean, language. Uh, matters and you know then somewhere along the line uh, somebody said well what transformative justice uh and so what do you mean when you're saying transformative justice right like uh because sometimes the language is changes 
but the practices continue to be the same. So, um, so there are other questions that, that I think we need to ask. And, and, and so that metaphor of the bridge, you know, we're bridge building, um, uh, the, uh, another phrase that I still bristle with is trust the process. What, why? I, I want I want us to even uh, um, examine the process. Why? What is this process that's so sacrosanct? Is this the only way to to do what we do? You know, like um, and because that trust the process has been one of those. This is how we do victim offender family group conferencing circles. You know, all the all the different tools. It's they've been codified and commodified as the way to do it, and I'm I'm I continue to ask the question: Why is that the only way? And what are some other ways? And how do we um, how do we you know, hold hold open space for that? Mm-hmm. And I I don't know it. I I I, I struggle. I and I'm still in the in the field because it is a way of doing the doing community uh of of holding values that i i believe in so so my criticism of it is is because i i really feel like it's important work and i really feel like it is a way of addressing the ills of our society or providing people an opportunity to to be invited back into the community or um inviting communities to uh to invite people back in you know you know it's it's about that obligation that obligation to the community yeah but i still i still struggle a lot of threads in there that i want (laughs) to pull on and (laughs) i i don't think we're going to get to all of them but like i'm going to try um i think you know language being important language also evolves right and so when people yes. say like restorative justice restoring to how it was like that's never how i've thought about this work mm, i've thought okay. about like a restoration to wholeness to being mm, good mm, relatives mm, to each other mm. and all beings right um and that like that you could call that transformative as well um yeah, yes yes i know someone else who's like no this is aspirational like that's what we're aspiring to because like we might never get to that point um what do we call this work? Because like, uh, to the, to the point you're making, like, you know, language is important, but like, it's the practices and the values that draw you back. And on some level, I don't care what you call it. Just do it. Right. Just do it (laughs) and and do it well. And like, yes, there, there's this balance um, and I was just having this conversation with somebody else on, on the pod uh, about how there's there's a tension between the need for structure to be able to articulate these ideas to people and like help them contextualize them. And there's a space for us to, you know, make it our own in our own communities and rely on the practices that have existed in these communities to move us towards right relationship, to move us to being in good relationships with each other and taking care of each other's needs, right? Because we are accountable to each other. Uh, we have an obligation to each other because of all the values that you've shared uh, from Ubuntu, Enlaketch, Kapwa, Mitakuyas, and like Hoso. Like all of these words are so important. And like because of like white supremacy culture being an individualistic, uh, dominating power, we've lost that. So when you ask the question, like, what do we do with a system that 
you know, hold that, uh, what do we do with a system that oppresses people and then is asking us to come and restore within that system? I don't have an answer for that question. <laughs> and so I, I imagine that what the restorative justice work has to be within and for the communities. You know, so again, I've done some work uh, on crimes of severe violence. Mm -hmm. And so in crimes of severe violence, um, uh, not all perpetrators are in a place, uh, the, the identified perpetrator are in a place to um, speak to the ones who, who are a victim of their, their crimes for a variety of reasons. It could, it, and, and always there's this understanding that uh, if it's unsafe for the person that's, the, that's uh, identified as the victim, then you don't uh, engage, you don't encourage a conversation. So I often think, I often think about our, our systems as the, that, that perpetrator that's been incarcerated for this crime. And, uh, and oftentimes um, we are the, as the identified victims, are going to the perpetrator for exoneration or for, or for something or validation. Part of, uh, of, of the field in um, crimes of severe violence is to provide space for that person who has been, uh, who is the victim of, to what do you need to, not so much as to heal, but move to the next level. What do you, what is it that you need if this other person cannot give it to you? And how do we do that? Like, how do we provide that kind of work in, in communities to say, you deserve that break that has happened for you. How do we, how do we work with that? And, 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 and I think the answer has to come from them. I also think of a, a friend who's doing work with um, mothers of, of murdered children. And, you know, the system is not very helpful when it comes to, well, you know, he had two arrests for uh, drug possession, you know, three years ago. It, you know, so there, there's this pen, penalizing, pathologizing, even labeling of the, the, the child. And so therefore the mother, who is still a victim of a crime, because the child, you, you know what I'm saying? So what, what are restore, how do we create restorative spaces that is not dependent on validation from the system who is a perpetrator? Those are the questions. I don't have any answers by any stretch of the imagination. Well, I mean, I think part of that is uh, the work that I'm doing with like, you know, equipping people with the skills to do this work uh, without having to ever engage the system, right? And the problem is that, like, you know, we grow up with carceral logic ingrained in us from um, our parents, well, from society as a whole, uh, from our parents, from schooling, uh, from the places that we work. Uh, it's it's everywhere. And so part of it for me is just like, you know, this work needs to be out there in as many places as possible, hence Amplify RJ, right? <laughs> and, you know, we're never going to be able to get this kind of justice truly within the system. And it's always this tension of like, you know, our people are within the system. And so we need to be within the system, serving our people, helping them as much as we can. We need to survive. And we also need to build something else because like burning things down um, without having like these alternatives in place and, uh, you know, viable for people to come into like, 
is one is not a path that I think very many people are willing to go down. Um, and I don't know how effective that would be. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, 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 I agree with you. Um, and, and, and so that, you know, when we say burn the bridge, it's, it's understanding that there are other paths, <laughs> you know, that there are uh, other paths. Why not? Let's, let's just walk across this water or, or, you know, is there a way to build a boat to cross this water? And, but when we rely on that bridge as the only path, that's, but we don't see what the other possibilities are. And I, and I think that's, that's the, the challenge that, again, creating that, those spaces to, to, one, recognize that the people have the skills. They know what they want. They know what they need. And, and so how do we create that? And, and how do we affirm them? Like, look, y'all know what you need. You, you know it within yourself. So let's talk about how do you talk about it? And then we can talk about how does this happen? You know, and and talk about you know how do we value um, our community again? How do we value uh, our people again? How do we and and let's not let's not expect anything from the system. It was not created to for for us to do well. It, you know, it just was not designed that way. And so instead of keep looking for it to do what's right, we have to find the other ways of, of reclaiming what it means to, to be community, what it means to be a part of reclaiming Kappa and Ubuntu. And how do we, how do we value, how do we bring those values again? Yeah. What does that look like for you? You know, I, I, for me, it's about being, being present for, you know, uh, being there for, I have a, a number of much younger women that I, um, you know, that make a difference what they call me. One calls me auntie, one calls me mom, one calls me, uh, you know, elder. I mean, I did, it doesn't make any difference what, what they call me, but um, just being there for them and, and and having these conversations, I, I, I was asked to be on a panel um, not too long ago with this organization in, in Kansas called Progeny. And, and these are young people who are are working at um, uh, working at uh, alternatives to juvenile justice, you know, uh, juvenile incarceration. And and so uh, they wanted uh, they asked one of my mentees, do you know any? like elders who'd be willing to, who, you know, would be willing to go, come on the panel. And, um, she said, oh yeah, you know, my auntie will do it. So she called me and hemmed and hawed and said, so, uh, uh, do you, I said, whatever it is, I'll do it. Just let, you know, what is it? What time? And what, what was important for me before I even started, I said, look, I want to tell you guys this right now. I'm sorry because we let you down. We drank the Kool-Aid and thought that if we went to college and got this degree and bought this house and that that it would be all good for you. And we failed to have, you know, we failed to, uh, we bought, we drank the Kool-Aid that I, me, my success is going to translate for you. And, you, you know, where is your community? Where is the, um, the connections? Where, where is the... Where's the history, you know? Um, so I, you know, I said, I, I just, 
I said, I apologize. We were wrong. So what do you need now? What, you know, what can I do for you now? And what can I do for you now before 10 o'clock? Because I can't stay up late. But that, you know, that's what I, I can do it, but I can't stay up late anymore. There was a day. We won't talk about that. But it's not today. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's about relationship, right? It's about building right relationships and being and making oneself available. Yeah, I think like the white supremacist training in me is like, no, but Auntie Michelle, like, what is the answer, right? Like, there has to be, uh, like, no. a solution that, like, is going to take care <laughs> yeah. of all of nope. this, right? Um, nope. And there's not, right? Um, nope. Also, Mm-mm. while, like, yes, apology accepted to my generation of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. who, um, you know, came after you, like, there's also mm-hmm. this acknowledgement that it wasn't your fault. <laughs> no. <Yeah. laughs> right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's, like, things have been constructed around you to like indoctrinate you into that thinking right oh absolutely Um, and now that we've we you and i right have come to consciousness and many others have it's like you know how do we build our relationships to sustain each other uh take care of each other um and i think I think there's another edition of this podcast where it's just like you know restorative like restorative dreaming like what are all the ways that um we can build this world because like there isn't just the bridge like we can we can learn to be really good swimmers yes (laughs) we can can build we can build boats we can you know build like another type of bridge right uh we can dig a tunnel under the river right there are like all these things that uh we can do to um you know, meet but as long as needs. we're focusing on that bridge and thinking that bridge is the only way, we don't even see our other possibilities. We don't even realize we can swim. Mm. You know, um, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's so and some will swim and some will build the boat, and you know, not everybody's going to have to do it the same way. Or, but how do we value each one's contribution? Yeah. Yeah. We talked about, uh, like, th- at the start, I talked, uh, you were talking about how, you know, this work has taken you from Dallas to the East Coast, yeah. uh, working yeah. with uh, the Mennonite community. Uh, yes. What yeah. is it that you're doing now? Well, now I live in Kansas. I live, uh, I'm the executive director for, uh, a, um, it's a relief agency for, it's called Mennonite Central Committee. And so I'm the regional executive director. It's about 16 states. I continue to do anti-racism training. I continue to do emotional emancipation uh, work. Um, really you know, quick, it's really em- interesting. What's emotional em- emancipation? Emotional emancipation um, circles are, it's a training that uh, was created, developed by uh, uh, African, uh, predominantly African-American psychologists and psychiatrists that use the principles of, of uh, Afrocentric, principles, seven principles, and it's for the emotional emancipation for persons of African descent in the diaspora, because there are emotional emancipation uh, circles on the continent, uh, in the the motherland, in Brazil, in the the islands. I mean, wherever there are uh, gathering and and people of, of African descent are all over, this has become one of these ways of using of of doing that emotional emancipation work that needs to happen for persons of African descent and and so uh uh based on principles one of of course Ubuntu's one Sawabona means I see you uh 
you know, and, and, um, yeah, just, and, and valuing, valuing that work. For me, that's restorative justice. You know, that's doing the restorative work. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm deeply involved in that. I am also, uh, part of a, uh, on the board of, of a local offender, offender victim, um, organization. And, uh, and like I said, I just been installed as, uh, an elder in Wichita, um, to in the Wichita, uh, Kansas area. So in Kansas, it's kind of ironic. I've not done really any, uh, cases that would be identified as restorative justice. Um, there is, there are people here who are doing restorative justice work. I've not, uh, had, I've not felt the need to do it in that way. I continue to do trainings, uh, restorative justice, uh, trainings, as well as, um, Offender victim, offender victim training, as well as crimes of severe violence training, when, uh, when when asked to, um, in the state of Kansas, it's another one of those. They figured out how to commodify and codify, so those that uh, the the, for instance, crimes of severe violence cases, can only be done with people who work for the Kansas Department of Corrections. They are the facilitators. Volunteers, community people, uh, cannot be a part of this, this process unless you go through an extensive training, which will only happen during work day. It's don't even get me started. It's just again an example of commodification, uh, codifying, and taking the community out of it. Yeah. So I just try to do things in different ways in in different organizations. Like, and that is always going to happen yeah. when like when people of color, marginalized people yeah, yeah, come, yeah. come up with like all of these ideas that are helpful yeah. for our communities. Like um, there is a logic that says like, oh yeah, let's scale this up and institutionalize <laughs> this. So like more yeah. people can benefit. Mm-hmm. And I understand where that comes yeah. from, but like, what do you lose yeah. when you bring that practice? Well, and I don't, but do more people benefit? I mean, that's the, I think that's the mm. lie that's being told, mm. you know, does more do do more people benefit when when it's being scaled up and uh, commodified because i think if there were volunteers then there would be more people who are willing to do the the type of uh, facilitating work but when you have only one or two people in the Depart- Texas department i mean Texas Kansas Department of Corrections that are responsible to, for doing all cases how how is that more people will be served I, yeah, so I think that's the lie that's told. I think, again, forget the language, but what are the results? What's the reality? Yeah, I can think <laughs> of um, not naming states or specific <laughs> places, right? but I can think of a restorative justice-like court that exists, right? Only sees, like, basically, like, possession cases yeah. of drugs. Mm. Um, and when we're talking about restorative justice, yeah. like yeah. when a possession case is really a crime, quote unquote crime mm. against the state, mm-hmm. right? Of course, there can be harm to the community, mm-hmm. but like that's not what the people in this court yeah. are concerned yeah. about, oh, yeah. right? It's like, how is this just like diversion yep. from like the traditional justice system? So like, don't put the word yeah. restorative justice on yeah. it, right? Yes. It, lots, lots of different mm. things in there. Mm-mm. Um well, this is airing during February, mm-hmm. Black History mm-hmm. Month, 
Granted, every month is Black History Month. Um, at Amplify RGA, uh, we're doing this series of workshops on Black abolition. Mm. Um, what does abolition mean to you? Well, and I, 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 I think abolition means to dismantle. And so when we talk about uh, the criminal, uh, you know, to even call it criminal justice is just, uh, it's not justice. So the cr criminal injustice system, that means it needs to be dismantled and reimagined. You know, what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about that, that you know, that punitive piece that, that, the, that, that the society has uh, that needs to be thought. Now, there are, there are offenses that people need to not be in society, you know, uh, especially when it, it causes great, when you harm another person deeply or when you harm children, I mean, you know, extreme of, of violence. But there are many that are in the, uh, that are incarcerated where, you know, the offense was against themselves, especially when you talk, when you talk about um, drug offenses or, you know, mm -hmm. So, so so that's what abolition means to me: to dismantle, decolonize, and then to I don't even want to say reconstruct, but construct something that is about um, the the health, the 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 well being of of the all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's just what comes to mind. I I'd like to think about that question more though, because. Uh, you know there are people in our society who hear, hear abolition; they just lose their, they lose their cookies behind it, and but there I don't even know what other word is, I don't know what other word can be used because that's what we're talking about. This system, the present system, needs to be abolished. Uh, period. So so let's talk about let's burn that bridge, but you know let's talk about other ways of getting across, you know, like we were talking, like, hey, you didn't even realize you knew how to swim. Like, yeah, so that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. What does restorative justice mean to you? So what I, what I, or how would you define I, it? How would I define it? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I see restorative justice as a way of life that, in, that um, values um, the community. It values the people and uh, the people in the community, and it seeks the both and as much as possible so that it seeks the wellness and the wholeness of the community and the wellness and the wholeness of each individual and in, in a community. That's restorative justice. Is And how do we do that? How do we get there? What do we need? What are the rituals? What are the ways forwards? Um, that all of that is restorative justice. There's, it's not one sentence. <laughs> That's, you know, it's not one sentence. It's a way of being, uh, way of being. I've asked this next question a couple ways. Mm. I'm going to try it this way. Um, what's a restorative practice that you're really leaning into in your personal life right now? Listening. That's something really basic is listening, listening to, uh, to the stories of the other. I just feel like, you know, I just feel like listening is where, is one of those skills that we, that we as a society have become so bad at because we listen <laughs> to create our next argument or we listen to uh, um, create the next uh, question or we listen, you know, there, there's always, and, and so when, but when we sit and listen and be okay with whatever time it takes for that to happen, 
magic seems to happen when I when I when I not only do the people have the answers for themselves as as I listen, but I also realize that I ain't got nothing to say because uh, the answer, whatever that is, has 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 appeared. I remember when I lived in Pennsylvania and I lived in this neighborhood and uh, one of the things that this neighborhood realized that this was one of those neighborhoods that uh, uh, if you call the police, they're going to go to jail, uh, which is not like it was in the other neighborhoods in the city. So the uh, block captains decided we're going to have, we're going to have uh, mediation. And uh, Michelle's, you know, Michelle over there in, in part in that building over there, she's a mediator. So it got to the point where uh, the block captain will say, um, Sister Michelle, we got uh, we got some people here. We need you to mediate. And, you know, I said, OK. And I, <laughs> time and time again, I remember one. They spoke uh, Creole French. I don't know nothing but bonjour. I mean, you know, I don't know nothing. I know nada. Not, and I'm thinking that even that was, yeah. But they, and they, and they, they so their first language was uh, uh, Creole French, uh, but they, they knew English, but that was not their first thing. So I was introduced. We sat down around the table in one of the people's homes. And I said, this is why I'm here. And and we're going, you know, you, you know, you can work this out. And I, I want to ask, I'll ask you questions. And then if I have suggestions, they started talking. I cannot tell you what was said, but I listened intently and looked at, you know, nonverbals. And then I said, okay, and this is how I moved along. So let me just make sure that I said, I know I don't understand the language, but I get a sense this is what's happening. And so then they would say, yes, but da da da, or no, but da. And, and then at some point, somebody says something. Somebody started crying. They're walking out of the house, you know, holding hands practically. I don't even know what happened. I don't even know <laughs> what the issue was. Time and time again, I'm in this, I'm in the basement of a church and there had to have been 30 people there. You know, it was again, not, um, uh, Sister Michelle, the, down the street at that church is going to be, all these people are going to be there. Will you, yes, I'll be there. Don't know. I said, so, uh, and it was predominantly Spanish speaking. And I said, this is what the situation is. Uh, we're going to talk about why are you here? What do you like to see? And how can this happen? Um, I said, I have only one only one rule, do not call anybody a name that is not on their birth certificate. That's all I'm saying. So let's begin. What happened? They started going, I'm, and I'm listening. <laughs> and, and then it's okay, let me just, and, and again, it was like, I said, let me just see if I understand what I'm, I'm hearing. No, or yes, or whatever. I'm telling you. I don't know, David, what was happening, what the, what the conflict, the issue, whatever was. But they all went home. Fine. Listening is that gift we can give to people. And I, and it's one of those core, I believe, core RJ skills that sometimes get overlooked because we feel like we got to we got to look for the what the next question should be. And sometimes Yeah, you know, I was going to say what gets in the way of that? Like what I what I heard you say 
in that was like, you know, a lot of reflective listening, right? Um, just like making sure that you understand, like there's understanding and then like it often prompts them to do more. What gets in the way of doing that? You kind of already answered it where it's like looking for the next yes, question. Looking for, like, yeah, looking for the next question or uh, I think, or making assumptions about what's going on, you know, like, well, oh, this is a, this is about uh, uh, stolen iPods. I, you know what I mean? Or, or you know, when like listening for, you know what? So could it be that uh, you were hurt by, uh, you know, you know, just being open to the possibility that your assumption may be just so totally wrong or what's on the case mm -hmm. file may not be it at all. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's, and being willing to sit in, the, in that space of discomfort when you listen, <laughs> We don't, yeah, yeah, that, I think that's, that, that for me is, so that's what I try to spend most of my time these days is, is listening. And I realized psh, I don't even have to say anything <laughs> most of the time, which is probably a good thing. Again, this idea that like, people have the answers yes, yes, for themselves. Yes. Um, the community knows yep. what it needs. Exactly. Um, and you're just there to like hold that space. Exactly. 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 Um, it might be related to this, um, or it might be something different, but like, what's been like an, oh shit moment <laughs> that you've had in doing this work and what did you learn from it? Well, I think an, a no shit moment would have been that I realized, oh, I do have some, um, uh, biases, uh, in certain types of cases, right? Uh, in cases that involve, I, I just remember one case where it was, it was um, the parent, well, it wasn't, one of them was the actual parent of the young lady who had a child, um, and she wasn't married, and she was on hard times, and uh, um, she let her parent, uh, gave the, w with the understanding that at some point she'd come back and get, you know, get the child when she got on her feet. Well, her parent and who her parent was married to at that time, which was not biological, decided they wanted to adopt this baby. And this young lady was still not on her feet. And I realized, I'm like, man, y'all can't take this child, this woman's child. Well, like, you know, I realized that I really had some feelings around this. And so I just, and so this whole idea of being, and that's when that really came to mind for me, like, Oh, you know what? That whole objective value is a lie. I mean, you're like that uh, that objectivity thing is a lie. We all have uh feelings and and understandings around. So it's just important to recognize that if I'm going to go into a situation like this, I I need to acknowledge where my biases are so that I could you know, not let them cloud. I mean, because I don't think I can check them at the door. That's ridiculous, but don't let them cloud. And I think what I've also learned is the value of co, always coing in some way, like co-facilitator, co-trainer, um, because I think um, we all do come into a situation with, with our biases. And so how do we... Um, Bring someone who can provide a perspective that is not necessarily my own or or can see a situation differently than I do. Yeah, there's this piece where people value like neutrality mm. 
quote unquote mm. neutrality, mm. and it doesn't exist. Mm. And by bringing in somebody else to, who has another perspective mm. than you, mm-hmm. um, it can be so helpful. As well as like checking your own biases, mm. because like we all have them. I was I was talking to uh, someone else the other day about you know how when they're trying to facilitate this conversation between like a teacher and a student you're on the side of the student in that situation right like you want what's best for that student but like how do you hold that space for both of them to feel heard and acknowledged even when the harm is happening from where the power lies in that situation right yeah yeah and if and if and and um the harm is happening in that situation and and what and that child has no recourse but to sit through something like that. I, you know, it's mm-hmm. yeah. I do have, you know, I do have, I do have my biases, and so recognize it. I think that was, and I think, and luckily that kind of happened early in my um, career, and and so I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not neutral or objective. I have biases, so I just need to be aware of them and check, you know, and check them at the, you know. Check not even check them at the door. I keep going there, but I don't really do that. It's like just being conscious of okay, is this coming out of my my bias? Um, and so the, and and so that particular mediation it was uh, I mean um, custody because uh, it wasn't restored to justice, but it was uh, it was a mediation. It ended with uh, no resolution at the table, and um, and so I think in my mind I was like. Okay, this woman's gonna get her child because they, 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 we couldn't. There was no resolution. Years later, and I mean a number of years later, three, four years later, I'm at some event somewhere, and this couple walks in, and they're looking at me, and I'm not really sure where I would have. I mean, I, they don't look really familiar to me, but they keep on looking at me, and then finally the guy comes up and he says, um, "You know, are." I think I know you was. Well, what would you know me from? I think you know uh, you you were mediator, and you know yeah. Well, I do do mediation because it still didn't dawn on me. Yeah, well, you did. My my daughter, we had her. You know, we had my granddaughter. We were keeping my, and we were going for custody. She he goes, we got her. We were able to, uh, you know, get custody of our granddaughter. And I, I mean, that all it all came. I said, well, congratulations. And I'm thinking. That is, I still think that is so wrong. <laughs> that is so wrong. But anyway, years later, I'm like, wow, I have no control over that. So that was a that was a lesson all the way around. Yeah, it was also like, I think another piece in there is like not being tied to yeah. specific outcomes. Yes, yes. Because you, you don't have control, right? When we're giving like people who are like most directly involved, their self-determination. Yes, exactly. Right? Um, you're, you're only there to hold the space for them. You're there to, uh, you know, be present, to listen, to help, but, um, it, it's their life. Exactly. 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 I just, yeah, I remember the, and that's one of those that I keep coming back, keeps coming back to me. So. What is one place or situation you wish people really knew this work? We've talked about a handful of them. I would say families. Families in families um, that would because that's where it probably should start. But in in um, skill building, you know, because I think uh, families have learned <laughs> aberrant behavior. So how what does it mean to have uh, uh, 
restorative justice values is what I'm talking about. Just values uh, as part of the understanding of what it means to be family. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I see, I see it there. I've seen it in schools. Um, I remember, uh, in fact, going to Richmond, Virginia to do an assessment of restorative justice uh, um, program in a school. And um, if you don't have uh, principals and teachers uh, uh, committed to it, it doesn't do well. However, students really appreciate it because it gives them something to uh, to hold on to that doesn't get them kicked out of school because it's either fight or don't, you know what I mean? So I remember at this particular school that I went to in Richmond, Virginia, and it was one of these schools that were like dead in the, in the city of Richmond, large, ridiculously large, uh, uh, high school in the middle of three, um, uh, housing, um, what do you call them? were you know low income housing so you you had i mean the dynamics in that school was like how you have these three and and because people have territories you know i'm in this mm-hmm. i'm i'm in this garden i'm in this whatever and, and restorative justice was uh brought to that school and i was able i you know did an assessment and so i'm talking to teachers who had incorporated it in their classroom um i talked to um teachers who hadn't co op incorporated, had questions about it, don't have time for it. But while I was there talking with the person who was implementing the program, three young ladies came in. They had a fight about something. And they came in and they said, Miss So-and-so, we need to do a circle. And I think one of them pulled out their hairbrush. And they sat, sat down in a circle and one talked and then they passed it to the next one. And I, I, I just sat and they let me sit there and watch. They talked and talked and talked, and then they resolved it and left because there was something they could do to help that stopped the escalation of that could have been like a brawl. They, they, had, they had been trained um, to be able to, to uh, resolve their, their issues restoratively. So, I, you know, schools could benefit from a more restorative approach rather than a punitive approach. Uh, approach and I think everybody could use some restorative justice skills <laughs> yeah it is all interconnected yeah, yes. like you were saying yes um this is a question that I had thought about earlier but I just remembered it right now so it's a little off track from you know the line that we were going down when you wrote uh when you co-wrote mm-hmm. your chapter mm-hmm. in colorizing restorative mm-hmm. justice who did you have in mind as the reader? Women of color who were in the field, because I think that that uh, specifically uh, for uh, women of color, um, because uh, I it's it's kind of like we've um, occupy this uh, liminal space um, as as um, women of color, and and we um, and I've had conversations with uh, over the years with. Uh, women of color who we, we go into a space, a, a restorative justice, you know, conference, whatever. It's like we gravitate to each other, wanting to have these conversations because, you know, it, there's always like something ain't quite right. Like these values are values that resonate, but 
something ain't right the way this is this is happening, you know. So and I no, I would just have to say that's that's who I had in mind, and so that's why it was important for me to co-write with um, other women of color and uh, and to have that kind of frank and open uh, conversation with um, with Christiane and with Erica and mm-hmm. um, and they're they're younger in the field and so having that conversation with younger women that are in the field yeah what do you hope women of color get from that uh, one that they're not crazy because uh, uh, that the feeling. Uh, two that there there is something um, organic and natural about this um, process, and that we and we can do this together. You know that we can work together because I, oftentimes in this effort to um, uh, have uh, co facilitating uh, teams, you know, there's you know, there's try the best to get there one, and I think. Uh, that one to make it all balance, whatever that means, you know, I'm, I'm being really facetious about it. But I think there is some work for us as women of color that, that we can do that um, can bring in the gender, uh, race, uh, class uh, aspects that are often not talked about or even acknowledged in the field as being important issues and factors that we bring that and we can and we should bring that into the space you might not have an answer to this <laughs> hope. but um what of course other people mm-hmm, read it mm-hmm. or, and are reading it what do you hope is the takeaway for others who are either not women mm-hmm. or are not people of color i hope they respect i i, I think uh i hope they recognize that that they because of who they are don't have a clue and that because of who they are, they are missing something that um, is is valuable. And, and and it's not that it's both and right. It all is needed. And and recognizing that um, that hopefully there is that recognition that the field must be inclusive, not diverse, because you can have racist diversity. But that what I'm talking about is inclusion. That recognizing that we bring values and practices that are valuable, just as valuable as this commodified, codified, uh, modified, <laughs> commodified, dominant culture practice of restorative justice. The, the type of like inclusion matters too, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like it's not inclusion into a racist white supremacist Ex- system, a, right? A it's like bringing yep. people in for the fullness yes. of who they are yes. and acknowledging like it is just as valuable. Yes, exactly, exactly. Right? And I, I don't know that this is a relevant comment for people who are, who've already sat through an hour of this podcast, <laughs> right? But like it, the work and the ask of people of color, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put words in your mouth and you can correct mm-hmm. me, of women, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are marginalized is not for dominance over. Yep. It is for like to be valued the same. Ashe, 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 exactly. Exactly. Uh, you get to sit in a circle with four people. Mm-hmm. Who are they and what do they talk about? Sorry, living or dead? Oh, so there is a 19th century African-American woman evangelist by the name of Amanda Berry Smith. And she just um, felt this calling on her life that didn't put her into any 
one denomination or any one uh, expression because as a woman of African descent in, uh, in black church, women couldn't preach. And, uh, and in uh, white church, she's black she, now, and a woman, she couldn't preach. So she had this sense of, of calling and being that took her places that you, I mean, that, that were amazing. And she was the one who started the, uh, started a orphanage for um, orphaned black uh, children because there wasn't any such thing. Um, of course, uh, she, yeah. So Amanda Berry Smith, because I just, I mean, that her faith was just astounding to me. You know, I realized it would probably be Amanda Berry Smith. It would be Sojourner Truth. It would be Harriet Tubman. <laughs> you know, I already know. I, yeah, I'm like, as I'm talking, but I, you know what I want? I want Ma Rainey at the table to just mix it up a little bit. Because, <laughs> yeah, I just need Ma Rainey at the table just to mix it up a little bit. That would just be awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. It's always a fun question. Um, kind of zooming out from, mm -hmm. you know, just the book, but if you were to speak to everybody listening mm -hmm. on this podcast, what is one thing that you would want them all to know? It, it's, it's less about what you call it. It's more about doing the work. And, 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 uh, and really, I want people to, to take time. What are your values? I mean, just, just even, you don't have to have this list of 15, you know, just what are your top three values and how do you incorporate that into your work? And if your values are not values that, um, that respects who's ever in the space, then you need to rethink your values. But, you know, but I think it's important to like, what do you value? And even asking yourself, why? Why is that value important? And then how do you incorporate that into your work? That's what I would, I would want people to explore. That gets lost so often. Like people are just trying to jump to the practices without trying to, um, without even thinking about like, thinking about the place where they are coming from it's... and the assumptions that they're making. That's so good. Mm -hmm. um, two more questions. Yes. Um, and before you answer this one, <laughs> you have to know that you have to help me so... in getting this person on. But who is one person that I should have on this podcast? I, you know, Lorraine Stutzman Amstutz and I are really good friends and she's, I mean, and she's, uh, uh, a longstanding uh, voice in restorative justice. She is also, uh, she's the one that facilitate, you know, is there to ask the questions when the, the three of us, uh, when Christiane and, um, and Erica and I are on a call and <laughs> because the, when we all get, but when we all get together, it it can be chaos, honestly, honestly, because we just forget that we're in front of people, you know, and we just talk real crazy half the time. So Lorraine has the hardest job because she knows all three of us. Uh, we know, and um, yeah, and and she is a person. And I think I said in one of the calls that um, you, you know it's hard to find white, and I don't even. Uh, I don't even use the term allies anymore. Uh, you know, white co-conspirators. I mean, she names, you know, she names it for herself and where she comes from and her commitment to doing better. I mean, you know, so, uh, and so she, she has written quite a bit in the field of restorative justice and she um, is not afraid of 
of critique or criticism or or challenge. So yeah. I can and hook it up. Yeah, I can hook it up for you. <laughs> I can hook it up. I can hook it up. And finally, mm-hmm. uh, how can people support your work in the ways that you want to be supported? Ooh, I just haven't thought about. I mean, I just think the way people support the work my work is to do the work. I mean, like, you know, let's, mm-hmm. let's really look at, um, uh, ways, restorative ways of, uh, working with and in communities that, that, that does not depend on the, uh, uh, systemic oppressors to be at the table. Let, you know, what are those, what are those, uh, I don't think, I don't use to, I don't like this because no space is really safe. <laughs> You know, uh, but what are those brave spaces or those sacred spaces or those, you know, Mm -hmm. rituals? How do we uh, create those types of uh, opportunities? And I and and of course, for people of African descent, I think uh, like and what I would I believe uh, emotional emancipation circles are are one way. And so, uh, you know, um, look at, you know, really looking into that. I know that. And in fact, I know that, um, Latinx people are, have, have, uh, are looking at psychologists and psychologists, psychiatrists and psychologists are looking at, wow, we need something like this for our community as well. You know, um, because of being, uh, believing, believing the lie and of white supremacy. What, how do we do this? So anyway, yeah, that would be my answer to the question. Well, at the very beginning, before we started recording, you told me um, that you would have like a really great experience if you know something that you shared today really connected with someone, and I'm sure yeah. many of those things oh. did. So thank you so oh. much for being here um, and sharing your wisdom yeah. with us. Well, and and I would like to just uh, share one 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 more thing. I. Um, like to before I when I speak at the usually at the beginning, but I I fail to do that. So I'd like to to at least end with a, an acknowledgement and a celebration, because um, mm-hmm. it's important for me to to acknowledge the history uh, that brought my ancestors to this land, um, and I so I first want to acknowledge the original people, uh, the indigenous people who lived and thrived for thousands of years on this land that we that they call Turtle Island and the land that which I live uh this stolen land is called the state of Kansas however Kansas is not the name of the original people the original people were named Kaw and the city where I reside is called Wichita after another indigenous people and so this land was and is home for the Sac and Fox, the Pawnee, the Cheyenne, and many others whose language and people are no longer here because of genocide, extermination, disease, forced displacement. And these people had families, these people had communities, these people had ways of being, and these people had faith. And it's also important for me to acknowledge that my ancestors are stolen people. My mother is from, uh, her people were from Sierra Leone and I and of the uh, Mende tribe. And my father's people were from Burkina Faso of the Basa tribe. 
And we are not settlers. We were not here by choice. We are displaced people. Our bodies were stolen. Like, and like the original people, we had language that was stolen, identities erased, and we too had families and communities and faith. So I acknowledge and I celebrate that we are still here. And I believe when I acknowledge the, the legacy of the indigenous peoples of this land, and I acknowledge that their land was stolen, and when I acknowledge the legacy of my ancestors, and that they were stolen, I defy the lie. The lie of white supremacy that values property and things over people. And so I celebrate that truth is we are still here. Ashe. What a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you so much for listening today, and thank you to Michelle for all of your amazing thoughts. This is Elise here, and I'm going to give you a few of my closing thoughts. I think one of the great points that Michelle highlighted was the importance of listening as a restorative justice practice that is often overlooked. We listen every day, but we don't often think about the way that we are listening. How can we be better listeners? Also, in this episode, Michelle encouraged us all to constantly name and reflect upon our values. I challenge you to write a list of your top five values and see how those values align or don't align with your community's values. All right, thank you for your time, and I'm going to give you a quick reminder of our announcements today. Please go check out our Black Her Story reading list and our History of Black Abolition Movements workshop in order to celebrate Black History Month with us. Also, don't forget about our collaboration with the Asian American Justice and Innovation Lab's People's School for Justice for our free intro to racial and restorative justice workshop. Thank you so much for listening and can't wait to see you in the next one. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast on whatever platform you're using right now. It really helps us further amplify this work. You can also support us by following us on our social platforms, signing up for our email list, rocking our new merch, joining our Patreon, or signing up for a workshop. So many options! Links to everything in the show notes and on our website, AmplifyRJ.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.